In today's edition of Awakened Radio, we are studying the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to tell you what a parable is, and we're going to lay out some incredible lessons learned. While the parable of the Good Samaritan may be one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told, it's certainly the most misunderstood. And we're going to do our best today to bring some great clarity to this amazing story. So in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, the parable, now what's a parable? Let's understand that right out the gate. A parable is simply an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. Think about that. A parable is an earthly story, something you can picture with your mind's eye, a story that you can relate to, that you can see yourself in. A parable is an earthly story that has spiritual truth, that has a heavenly meaning. And Jesus loved to teach in parables. He was a master teacher. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, perhaps it is the most famous story that Jesus ever told. Maybe it, it, it compares with the prodigal son, but I mean, you don't even have to be religious today. You don't even have to be a churchgoer to know the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is so popular in our culture. Do you realize that we even have a law called the Good Samaritan Law? If you come across someone in distress or someone incapacitated or someone in peril and you try to help that person and something goes terribly wrong, they can't sue you. They can't take legal action against you because what that law is meant for, it wants to encourage bystanders to help. And so we even have a law on our books called the Good Samaritan Law. But while this may be the most popular, the most famous of all of Jesus, of all of his parables, let me assure you, it is the most misunderstood. Most of our society does not understand the teaching of the Good Samaritan. They completely miss it. If you think that this story, if you think that this teaching of Christ is about good deeds, you've totally missed it. If you think the story is about being a good person, if you think the story is about doing good works, if you think the story is about pleasing God by being a kind person, you've completely missed the point of the teaching. So my goal this morning is to unfold it, to unpack it. And God willing, we'll understand what the Spirit of God wants us to understand from from this text. Now, it begins with a lawyer. We're going to nickname this lawyer loophole, all right? Because <laughs> this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to, find a, he's trying to find a loophole. And this lawyer stands up. Now, he's not a lawyer in the sense of our attorneys today. He's a lawyer in the sense he understands the law of God. He's a theologian. He studies the law. And so it's interesting because in that day, everyone would sit. In our day, it's reversed. The teacher stands and those learning sit. Even in a classroom setting, it's that way. But in Jesus' day, everyone was sitting. And so this lawyer stands. Now, it would appear he's giving Jesus great respect. It would appear that he's coming in a humble way. But listen, Jesus knew the man's heart. Jesus knew his motives. He knew his intentions. He saw right through what he was doing. And Luke is going to tell us that the lawyer is going to ask Jesus a question. And this is what he asks. It's very interesting. 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, one would think that's a very good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in a very shocking way, doesn't give him an answer. Jesus says, well, what do you think it is? You're an expert in the law. This is what Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what Jesus meant. You're the expert. You're the lawyer. How do you read it? What do you think? You know, it's something I want us to note here about the model that Jesus used when dealing with someone like this. Jesus often would not give someone a straight answer. He would ask them a question. And you know, that's actually a very good model for us today. Have you ever tried to share your faith with someone that they were combative? Have you ever tried to share your faith with someone that whether their question was uh, out of genuine curiosity or whether they were mockingly asking a question, have you ever shared uh, your faith with someone who just had a hard time grasping it? You know, a great model for us that Jesus did is often ask questions. So instead of this man saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, remember what happened when Nicodemus asked this question. Jesus gave him a straight answer because Jesus knew he was genuine. What did Jesus say to him? Nicodemus, you must be born again. Unless a man is born again, he'll not see the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean by that? I think it does literally mean physically to see the kingdom of God. But I think deeper than that, it means Spiritually, one will not perceive, one will not see, one will not understand, one will not grasp, one will not comprehend. You will not perceive, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. See, this lawyer was different. This lawyer had no interest in the truth. So Jesus asked him a question. What do you read? What do you suppose? What does the law say? You know. You know, Perhaps you've shared your faith with someone before, and I just want to show you how wise it can be to follow Jesus in his model of evangelism. Let's say that you share your faith with someone, and, and they go, now, wait, wait, wait. Are you, are you telling me that you believe that God is a loving God, and yet he would send people to hell? Are you telling me you believe that? Maybe you've had people say that to you before. Are you really implying, are you telling me that you believe that God would send people to hell? How can you believe that? Well, how do you answer that? You could go into a theological answer and be like, well, now in Genesis 1, you have the fall, and out of the fall, you have corrupt. They're not going to follow that. You know what the wise thing to say is? The wise thing is to follow Jesus in his pattern. The wise thing is to say, well, who do you suppose goes to hell? Who do you think goes there? What do you think someone would say to that? Hitler? Yeah, probably. <laughs> your mother-in-law? I don't know. I don't know your family. I don't know your circumstance. I'm not judging. <laughs> Who do you suppose goes to hell? And then that's when you ask, well, then what do you think is the criteria? What do you think is... The differentiates who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And see, here's the wisdom. Do you know what you've just done? You've just created a dialogue. You've just created conversation. Do you remember throughout our two-year study of Acts, we would always see Paul going into the synagogue and Luke would write, and Paul reasoned the scriptures. Remember what that word reason meant? 
to converse, to dialogue, to have conversation. Sharing the gospel is not pointing your finger and setting everyone straight. That's not sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is conversation. And when you ask questions in your evangelism, when you ask questions in your witnessing, do you know what you're doing? You're creating dialogue. And that's how Jesus did it. So, let's watch the dialogue. The lawyer stands up and the lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And instead of giving an answer, Jesus asked a question. And Jesus said, what do you suppose it means? You're the expert. How do you read it? And the man answers rightly. The man said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor. Hmm. Now Jesus could have said, yeah, you're right. And the man could have left it there, but he didn't. The dialogue is going to continue. I want to stop for a moment, though, and I want to think about what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Because here is the point of today, and here is what you cannot miss in the story of the Good Samaritan. This story is not about good works. It's not about kind deeds. It's not about impressing God with your, with your morality or with your goodness. This is what the story is about. The story is about loving God supremely. That's the point of the Good Samaritan. It is about if my love for God is where it should be, if I truly love the Lord with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, then guess what's going to happen? That love is going to overflow to other people. I cannot say that I love God and I don't love others. I can't do that. James, the book of James teaches us that. James said, how can you say you love God whom you've not seen when you don't love your brother whom you do see? How can you quarrel? How can you fight? How can you argue? How can you uh, be bitter? How can you be unforgiving? How can you hold a grudge? How can you be prejudiced against your brother whom you do see? And yet say you love God, whom you're not seeing? No, 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 no. You're deceiving yourself. So the purpose of the Good Samaritan, it's not about, listen to me, it's not about a social gospel. It's certainly not about socialism. It's not about these ideas of, of you know, giving up for the greater good. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with us recognizing our inability to truly love God the way we should love God and how desperately we need God's help even to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You understand what I'm saying? And it takes the step further because you remember in the book of Mark, another lawyer comes to Jesus and asks, what's the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. What is the point? If you and I are going to be the people of God that we are supposed to be, you and I cannot be indifferent toward people around us. We cannot walk by and not pay attention and not love and minister and care for and pray for and help those who need help. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not about who is your neighbor. Because that's the question that loophole has. Everybody say loophole. 
That's not the question that loophole. He wants to know, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus bypasses that and he doesn't teach who the neighbor is. The question is, who will I be a neighbor to? Who will I be a neighbor to? Now this year in 2019, we have a very radical vision. Although my vision has failed spiritually, our vision is spiritually could not be any more crystal clear. It is 2020. This year, one thing we're going to say over and over and over is we are going to grow people, not our church. You hear me? We're going to grow people and not our church. And how are we going to grow people? This is how we're going to do it. If you walk out in the lobby today, you'll see that big wall between the offices. You'll see that big wall with our vision on it for 2019. We're going to grow people, not our church, in this way. Number one, we're going to love people as we've never loved them before. We're going to make disciples, number two. We're going to live generously, number three. And we're going to pray fervently, number four. We're going to pray faithfully. And that's how we're going to expand our capacity in this church. Not growing our church, growing our people. And that's our vision. And then today, while we're talking about how do we love people, my question today is, how do we expand the capacity to love people more? Because if we're going to do that, let me tell you what it's going to look like biblically. It's going to mean that you and I are to love people who don't look like us. It means we are to love people who do not think like us. It means we are to love people who do not act like us. It means we're to love people who do not agree with us. And if we're going to expand our capacity, if we're going to grow our ability to love people, where's it going to come from? Out of getting the priority right, we're going to love you, the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We're going to love you with all we have. And out of that is going to flow an enormous love for people. Amen. You know, when we started this church, my prayer so fervently was, God, while people were in our building who are lost, God, would they feel such conviction of the Holy Spirit that they can't wait to leave? They're going, golly, I wish he'd finish. I got to get out of here because they feel the conviction of the Lord. Amen. But that all week they would feel the love of God so strong from this church they can't wait to get back. Do you and I have an ability? Do you and I have a capacity to love? Well, let's let's look at this. And and like all parables, you and I are going to see ourselves in the story, okay? So the lawyer old loophole here. Luke tells us what's happening. He's going to ask Jesus, then who is my neighbor? See, this this lawyer had no interest in who his neighbor was. Luke tells us what's happening. The Bible says, wishing to justify himself. He asked Jesus, then who is my neighbor? Wishing to justify himself. Himself, that was his goal. That's what he wanted. He wanted to justify his own life. Let me tell you, God has nothing to say to people like that. Now, people like Nicodemus who would humble themselves, 
God has everything to say. But people like this lawyer who's pretentious, who's assuming, Jesus had nothing to say to him. So let's watch the story unfold, okay? There's a dialogue. There's a conversation taking place. The lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's trying to test Jesus. That's what Luke tells us. Jesus answers his question with the question. What do you suppose the law says? How do you read it? The lawyer answers in a right way. See, that tells me how prideful he is. You know, pride people will always give you the answer. You know that? Prideful people will always tell you the answer. You know what humble people say? Humble people say, well, I think I know, but teach me. I think I know the answer to this, but, but you tell me. Show me your perspective. You see how prideful he is? Arrogant people will always tell you their answer. Humble people will always say, no, teach me. Help me learn. Help me understand. And so he answers Jesus' question with the technically the right answer out of the law. You love the Lord your God, and then you love your neighbor. And then, wishing to justify himself, he asks Jesus the loophole question, then who is my neighbor, trying to trap him? And then Jesus tells an astonishing story, one that we're talking about over 2,000 years later, one that even impacts our culture with an actual law. Jesus says there was a man walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this was a common place. People, this lawyer would have known exactly what he was talking about. This was a very common road. As a matter of fact, you go to Israel today, it's still a common road. And guess what? It's still down. It's a long, winding road down to Jericho. As a matter of fact, the road is 17 miles long. And the reason why it goes so far down is because Jerusalem sits at a very high sea level. Jericho is down by the Dead Sea and it sits at a very low sea level. So when you travel even today from Jerusalem down to Jericho, you go down a long, winding, 17-mile road. And back then it was common for thieves, for robbers to hang out here. Matter of fact, today you could still get robbed. There's plenty places where a thief could hide rocks and other areas that they could easily hide behind. So the lawyer, it wouldn't take much for him to picture exactly what was happening, as well as everyone else in the room. So Jesus says a man was walking down from from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and on the way he was met with thieves and robbers. And this is what Jesus said. They robbed him, they stripped him, and they beat him. And Jesus said, half to death. He was on the brink of death. You can picture it in your mind's eye. See, in that day, clothing was very, very uh, valuable. Uh, It it related to your income. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, often you could tell what a man did by his occupation based on what he wore. You could tell what part of the region of Judea he was from based upon what he wore. And if you wanted to rob someone, you would take their clothing because it was valuable. Anybody ever been robbed? Anybody ever had fraud happen to you? I had that happen this morning. Sadie and I were on our way to church, and Eastman Credit Union called me. Uh, I thought they were talking about my account. It was about the church account. 
And the lady calls and says, uh, uh, you, know, are, uh, you know, are you who you say you are? Yeah, okay, I verified everything. They said, did you make a $1,027 purchase with a travel agency this morning? Nope. Did you purchase $300 in the Netherlands? Nope. Did you buy a $6 Audible book? Yep, I did do that. <laughs> but I did not spend $1,327. Ooh, fraud. They called it. Praise God. Now I have to go get a new debit card and reset everything up. <laughs> but at least we didn't lose $1,300, right? <clears throat> In today's world, you would rob someone. You would take their credit cards. You would take their debit cards. You would, but no, in that day, you would take their clothing. So they strip him. And they rob him. And they beat him to where he was half dead. And then Jesus is going to say the most astonishing things. He's going to say, now, now again, this is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He says, a priest so happened to be walking along the road. A priest. A man who in that day, in that culture, was the closest to God. You want to be close to God, you're a priest. You work for God. Odds are he was a priest from Jericho who was coming down from Jerusalem after serving in the temple. And don't go too far into it because it's a made-up story. It's make-believe. Jesus made it up. So don't go too far. But odds are what Jesus is painting the picture, he's probably coming home from serving in the temple or perhaps going to the temple to serve. And Jesus uses the strongest language When Jesus says that he crossed to the other side of the road, what he's saying is rather than even walk on the same side of the road as this half-dead, beaten man, he crosses the road and goes to the clear other side. Strong language in the Greek. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he was completely indifferent to the suffering man either on his way to serve God or on his way home from serving God. Friends, do you know what this says to us? It says, it reminds us that there are people across our path who are utterly beaten up by sin. Satan has robbed them of all their joy. He stripped them of all of their peace. They have no joy in the Lord. They got no peace of heart in their life. And they are beaten and bloodied with sin. And what do we do? We gather every week in this building. We sing our songs. We tote our Bibles. We enjoy our coffee, we enjoy our fellowship, we go to our Bible studies, we join our small groups. And how many people are beaten up in our life right there along our path? And we cross the road on the way to church. Or we cross the road on the way back from church. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that religion cannot help you. Religion can do nothing for you. So Jesus indicts the religious community here. And he said, you take a man who's stripped, he's naked, he's, he's robbed, he's bleeding, he's half dead, and religious people will do nothing for you. Let me tell you, friends, it's the same in the world today. Religion will do nothing for you. You need Jesus, not religion. So, 
Jesus said, a second man comes by. This man is a Levite. Now, Levites served in the temple. They weren't the priests, but they served. They could be compared to a worship leader, just, you know, in our modern setting. You could, you could think of it as that way. Still work for God. Still represent God. Still supposed to, still supposed to you know, be a man of God. And you know what he does? The Bible says he goes and he looks. He examines. Scholars say this represents the law. See, the law will show you what a bad shape you're in. The law will show you how lost you are. The law will show you your great need of salvation, but the law can't help you. The law will show you, but the law can't save you. And so this Levite looks at the man, he examines him. And he goes, he goes on his way. But then, <laughs> Jesus said something that stunned the entire room. Jesus said, but then a Samaritan came. Now, in our culture, we just simply cannot understand the hostility between Jews and Samaritans. Because we didn't live in that day. But let me try to explain it to you. But there's no way we can truly feel it. Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. The hatred went back uh, to the captivity. When the Jews were carried off to captivity, what few Jews remained intermarried with Gentiles. They broke the law of God. They intermarried with Gentiles. A lot of time passed. When the Jews returned back to their homeland, they found the, what now are Samaritans. They were a half-bred Jew. They did not accept the, the, the Old Testament scriptures. They believed only the first five books of the law were any kind of scripture. They didn't accept David as king. They didn't accept any of the Psalms or any of the prophets, nothing like that. And they just, they, they had their own temple where they worshiped. They were just completely opposite of Jewish society. And a true Jew looked at a Samaritan as half-bred. And they were not truly religious. And they just hatred. Hatred on both sides. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, remember when he wanted to go through Samaria, Jews hated the Samaritans so much, they would walk longer distances to go around Samaria to not even walk through it. And remember what Jesus told his disciples, I have a need, I have need that I must go through Samaria. And remember he sat down on the well and he shared the gospel with the Samaritan woman. Tell you what else is fascinating. When God established his church in the book of Acts, he was not going to have a Jewish church and a Gentile church. So do you remember what he told Peter? He told Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. What does that mean? In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached the gospel to the Jews and he unlocked the door to the kingdom to the Jewish people. But in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria, preaches the gospel, and people respond. And then Peter comes, and he reinforces the gospel. Peter baptizes all these people. And what does he do? He unlocks the door of the kingdom to the Samaritans. Unthinkable. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, preaches the gospel, and he unlocks the door of the kingdom to all of the Gentiles. Now God does not have a Jewish church, a Samaritan church, or a Gentile church. He has a Christ church that is global throughout all generations. 
Isn't that exciting? But that wasn't the case here in this text. And so when Jesus says a Samaritan, oh, it's unthinkable. I, I, imagine, I imagine everyone who was listening to Jesus went, that can't be right. He indicted the priest. He indicted the Levite. He indicted religion. And he said, but let me tell you who had compassion. It was a Samaritan. Unthinkable. And what does the Bible say the Samaritan did? Now remember, what's the point of the parable? The point is not good works. The point is not kind deeds. The point is loving God. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor. And what's the point of today? How do we grow? How do we expand our ability to love? It means loving people who are not like us. Loving people who do not think like us. Loving people who do not act like us. That's how we grow it. So what does the Samaritan do? Here's what Jesus said he did. He stops. See, that right there is the greatest challenge right now. Are you going to slow down this week and let God show you the people who need kindness? Are you going to slow down and let God show you the people who you can't help? See, remember, the point is not who is your neighbor. The point is who will you be a neighbor to? Who do you have the ability to help? Who do you have the ability to serve? I heard a story this week uh, that uh, David Jeremiah told that I thought was so powerful, and I want to relay the story. He spoke of a pastor who was invited to speak at a women's event, at a women's conference. And the lady who introduced the day, before she introduced the pastor, she said, uh, there is a missionary of our church who has messaged a great, urgent financial need, and I would like for us to pray for that need today. And she introduced the pastor and said, would you pray for the need today? And the pastor comes to the podium and very, very wisely, the pastor says, no, we're not going to pray for this need today. Kind of stuns everybody. He said, but instead, he said, I'm going to take out my wallet and I'm going to give whatever cash I have toward this need. And he said, I'm going to invite you to do the same. And then he said, whatever is left over of the need, that we will pray for. As you can imagine what happened, the need was totally met. See, the question is not, what is it that I, who is it that I'm to be a neighbor to? The question is, will I be a neighbor? Will I help in ways I can? I'm not called to do everything, but I am called to do something. Who is in my path? Who do I work with? Who do I live near? Who is in my network of friends? Who has God put in my path that I'm not going to be indifferent and walk across the road? I'm not going to be indifferent and look at the need and keep going. No, I'm going to stop and I'm going to help and I'm going to serve. That's growing our capacity to love. And so watch what the Samaritan does. He stops. He gets down. Oh, this is unthinkable. He takes out oil and wine. Now, why would he have oil and wine? Do you carry oil and wine? Some of you may, I don't know. Why would he have oil and wine? It was to prepare his meals. But see, this was common in this day. You know what they would do with that oil and wine? They would pour it into wounds. You know why? It would soothe those wounds. And in the Greek, when it says that he poured, it doesn't mean that he dabbed. The Greek word 
is that he lavishly poured the oil and the wine and he rubbed it into those wounds. Friends, are you willing to get your hands dirty? Are you willing to get hands on with the people in your life? Or do you keep them at a distance? See, if we're gonna love people the way that God has told us to love people, we have to be ready to take the oil of the Holy Spirit. We have to be ready to take the wine of the word of God and pour into wounds and help soothe and help heal those wounds. See, many of us, we're willing to pray, but are we willing to put our hands over those bloody wounds? I was traveling overseas a few years ago with some friends, uh, Marvin and Mickey, and we were going all over the Middle East and portions of Africa on that trip. And we had a long layover in Amsterdam. We had like a seven or eight hour delay. And we're like, well, let's, let's get out and explore a little bit. So we're walking down the streets of Amsterdam. And there's this man lying there. And he's lying with his legs out. He doesn't have any shoes on. He doesn't have any socks on. The man looked horrible. It looked deranged. And the man had deep gashes through his feet on the bottoms and the tops. I mean, just open gashes. It's terrible. Me and Marvin are walking, talking, and I remember seeing him. And when I saw him, I mean, my heart really went out. I mean, I felt true, true compassion for him. But me and Marvin kept walking. All of a sudden, we realized Mickey's not with us. And we look back, and it's Mickey who's on the ground. He asked the boy if he could pray for him, and he said yes. And Mickey has his hands over his feet, praying over his feet. That's a good Samaritan. That priest and that Levi walked right past him. Oh, we felt something, but we did nothing. Mickey put his hands on him. He poured the oil of the Holy Spirit, he poured the wine of God's word over that boy's feet. Now, it may not be physical gashes, but there are people in your life facing divorce right now today that the wounds are as deep as they can be. There are people facing job loss in your life. There are people facing enormous financial hardships. There are people facing health situations. There are people facing all kinds of different crises. All kinds of things. Are you willing to touch them, to put your hands deep inside those wounds and pour the oil and the wine and begin to soothe? That's what God's called us to. What this, the purpose, the, the meaning of the parable is don't say that you love God if you don't love your neighbor. Because you don't. Not the way you should. The point is not who is my neighbor. The point is who will I be a neighbor to because they're all around us. So he pours the oil and wine and then he does something unthinkable. Now remember, he doesn't know who this man is. He doesn't have a name. He doesn't know if he's an important man. He doesn't know if he's a poor man. Remember what we said? Often you could tell uh, someone's affluence based on what they wore. But he had been stripped. He didn't know. 
Let me tell you, friends, do you know when you really, truly love someone and help someone and serve someone, it's when you do something for someone who could never pay you back. Someone who could never repay you with the same kindness. That's when you've really served someone. That's when you've truly loved someone. He didn't know. He didn't know if this man would ever pay him back. But he had compassion. His ability to love was off the charts. His capacity to love was far beyond even the priest or even the Levite who supposedly loved God. So he pours the oil and the wine and then he does the unthinkable. He gets off of his beast, most likely a donkey, could have been a horse. And he puts the man on his own beast. What's the point? The point is, is now he has to walk. Now the Samaritan has to walk that rough terrain that hard road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now he's walking instead of riding. Will you and I serve people like that? Will you and I prefer people above ourselves? As Paul said in Philippians, will we put the interest of others above our own interest? Will you do it in your own marriage? I mean, now follow me. Say amen if you're with me. Amen. Say it again. Amen. Amen. Say it again. Amen. Amen. Good, because you're going to need it. Hang on. Put your seatbelt on. What does the Bible say to wives? The Bible says, submit yourself to your own husbands. I've done a lot of premarital counseling where that makes the woman mad. Now I can't see if she gets mad, so it don't bother me an inch. But... I've done a lot of counseling where it makes a woman mad. Listen, the Bible doesn't say women submit to men. It says wives submit to your own husbands as you do to Christ. And see to it that you respect your husband. Now, that's what it says to women. You know what it says to men? Far worse, far harder. You're rolling your eyes, aren't you, ladies? You're like, are you kidding me? Here we go. No, I'm serious. It's much harder because you know what the Bible says to men? Love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. In other words, we are to love in a sacrificial, self-deserting way. Let me tell you God's biblical pattern. When a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church and he sacrifices, he puts her above the desires of his own self. He puts her above his own ambitions. He puts her above his own wants. He puts her as supreme. You know what happens? The wife has no trouble following that kind of leadership. And that's where a biblical marriage just fits together. Can a wife submit to a husband that's not loving her as Christ loved the church? No. Is it hard for a husband to love a wife who won't submit and respect him? It's God's biblical pattern. It's his design. So when we think about this idea, will we... Will we put others' interest above our own? Will we, put, will we show others more love and more gratitude and more help than ourselves? Because let me tell you, I mean, men, we're selfish, aren't we? Can our ladies say amen? 
Uh, back off now. Don't get too much into it. You don't have to prove my point. We know we're selfish, right? We are, aren't we? And that's why the Bible gives us the command. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Why did he not give women that command? Because usually they're not selfish. It's usually us. Are we going to love people, especially our families, especially our church family, but are we going to do it in a way that's not religious indifference? Are we going to love the people around us, the ones who don't look like us, the ones who don't think like us, the ones who don't act like us? Now, as we close today, not only did he pour the oil in the wine, not only did he soothe the wounds, not only did he put him on his own beast, but you know what he does next? He takes him to a hotel. They don't get carried away. This isn't the Four Seasons, right? He didn't check into the Hilton of Jericho. He, uh, this, was a, this was a lodge. Uh, just would have been a, a roadside shelter, basically. But you know what he did? He stayed with him all night long. You know how we know that? Because it says the next morning when he got up, he stayed with him. All, no doubt he nursed his wounds all night long. He didn't even know the man. Didn't even know him. Didn't know if he'd ever repay him. But that didn't matter because he was moved with compassion. I'm telling you right now on the authority of God's word and the Holy Spirit, if our church will be moved with compassion in 2019, it will be astonishing what God does through this house. If we would allow God to move us with compassion, it would be astonishing. Amen? Praise God. Stayed with him all night long. Then when he got up the next morning, listen to what he did. He told the innkeeper. He pulled out two denarii, two days wage. And he said, keep him and care for him. And he said, when I come back through, if I owe you anything, I'll pay it. What incredible love. What lavish grace this man showed. Now, do you know how big this is? In these days, you didn't have bankruptcy court. You couldn't levy uh, anyone's account. You couldn't go after their assets. Do you know what would happen if you owed a debt and you didn't pay it? You became their slave. And this man didn't know this. He didn't know if he was going to, you know, eat from the mini bar, which I doubt they had that from the mini fridge. But, you know, he didn't know if it was going to take him two weeks to recover, six weeks to recover. If it was going to take him 12, he didn't know how much he would have to pay. But he said, it doesn't matter. You take care of him and I'll foot the bill. Wow. What generosity. Do you and I love people in this way? Because let me tell you, when it comes to what sin does to people's lives, there are people all around you, beaten, bloodied, and on the brink of death. Sin will beat you up. See, in the story, this is the point. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You don't think Satan will destroy your marriage? You don't think Satan will kill you where you are? You don't think that if he could, if God would allow it, he wouldn't take you out? Absolutely. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What if God sets you on the path of someone who is utterly beaten, robbed, naked, 
stripped by sin, do you have the capacity to love them the way God expects? Do not say that you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and ignore your brother, ignore your sister, who you have the ability, you have the provision, you have the ability to help. Amen? That's a word for you, and that's a word for me, and that's a word for this house this year. Let us be moved with compassion this year to love people as we've never loved them before. And you say, Chad, what will it look like? It will look like loving people who don't look like us. The Jews were prejudiced. Let me tell you, God has no room for racism or prejudice in his kingdom. You understand that? And in the area of the country that you and I live in, it's very easy to go, oh, well, my granddaddy was that way. Oh, my dad was like, I don't care. Don't think for a second that you're gonna go to heaven and it be segregated into sections. Don't think for a second. You may be the one that's not there with that kind of hate in your heart. You need to examine today. You need to look at your life today and you need to say, do I love people who are not like me? Do I love people that sin has ruined them? Do I love them? Because the whole point of the story of the Good Samaritan is that you and I are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in doing that, we love our neighbor This year, let's grow our capacity. Let's expand our capacity, growing our ability to love the people around us. And I'm telling you right now, you begin loving the people around you. God is gonna begin working in your life in ways that you never dreamed he could. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. I don't know what area of this sermon you needed. I don't know what area perhaps you wrestle with or you struggle with. I know for all of us, especially me, I need to slow down. I need to see the people that God puts along my path. I need to see people who are lying in the road of life, broken, hurting. And see, it'd be very easy to just come to church That's what they were doing. They were coming to and from temple. Be very easy to just read the Bible. That's what the Levite did. He knew the law. He studied the law. Be very, very easy to be religious and to not be loving. Well, that doesn't please the Lord today. So here's what I want you to do as we close today. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, who am I not seeing that you want me to see this week? Who am I ignoring? It may be someone that you work with that they're facing a divorce or they have a parent who's dying or they're losing their children in a custody battle or all kinds of things where they're troubled and, and, and you, 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 know, you may pray for them privately, but you've never reached out to them. You've never poured any oil or wine into their wounds. But I'll tell you this, they're hurting people everywhere. They're in your path and they're on my path. 
And if we'll pay attention, God will show them to us. The question is, what will you do? How will you respond? Some of you are listening today and you've been stripped by sin. You've been deceived. You've been robbed. Sin overtook you. You were going down the road. You were going down the path. And all of a sudden, sin robbed you, beat you, left you for dead. I'm telling you today, friend, God loves you. God loves you. And just as that good Samaritan knelt down and poured wine and oil and put the, put the broken man on his own beast and put him in lodging and paid for it. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ paid our debt. Jesus Christ came to rescue. He came to redeem. He came to save. And if you're someone today that sin has absolutely ruined you, took everything you had, stripped you, took your identity, took your joy, took your peace, took your love, took your happiness, took your future. I'm telling you today, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Because He came to rescue. He came not to be served, but to serve. To put you on the beast and carry you. To pay for your debt. To bind up your wounds. Praise God. Don't lie there in a pool of your sinful blood. No, 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 no. You let Jesus minister to you. Don't you look to religion. Don't you look to the law. You look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And today, if you need to say, God, rescue me. Let me tell you, that's just that's the prayer to pray. Say, God, I'm on the road to Jericho. I am broken. I am stripped. I am beaten. I am robbed. God, rescue me. That's the prayer to pray today. Rescue me. Rescue me, Jesus. Pour your oil. Pour your wine into my wounds and rescue me. Oh, how God will. Oh, how God will. You can do it right there in your seat or you can come kneel at this altar and people will pray with you today. People will pray with you today. But I'm telling you now, do not walk out this building lying on the road to Jericho. Walk out redeemed by Jesus. Everyone praying right now, God, do a work in our hearts that only you can do, Jesus. Religion cannot help us. The church cannot help us. The law cannot help us. Only Jesus can help us today. Only Jesus. Come on, church, pray for those that are broken today. Those who are watching online, those who are listening through our app. Lord, we pray for those whose sin has ruined their lives. And they think back, they think, I can never be what I once was because sin has ruined me. No, 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 no. God, you restore. Help us today, Lord God. Help us today. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing me. Thank you, Lord. When Satan came and robbed us, left us as carnage, Lord, you redeemed us. God, let us be on the same mission. Let us be on the same mission in life, Lord. Praise God.